Hello, welcome back to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast, where we discuss all things weather and how they can impact our daily lives. If you've listened to previous episodes, thank you so much for joining us again. If you're a new listener, welcome and thank you so much for joining us for a chat about the weather. We hope, like always, that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. My name is Gemma. Hello, and my name is Ashling. Thank you so much again for joining us for another episode. We hope you make it all to the end and love the weather that little bit more. But today we're introducing somebody that actually I have only met for the first time tonight. And I suspect from our, before we started uh, recording here, we could be talking for a couple of hours because the conversations <laughs> flow quite easy. But I'm going to introduce Lizzie Codd. Her first career was in IT second as a school business manager whilst raising your kids I'm always super interested about how you actually managed to do that and then as a mountain leader so that's the bit that we really want to talk to you about and also all of your crazy trekking and you've just told us that you finished a 30 mile bike ride for the record it's a quarter past eight at night time and that was on top of another day's work that she did so Lizzie without further ado should we just get cracking and start asking you all your questions yeah hello hi <laughs> so, I've got so many questions I know I'm, I'm writing them down earlier yeah. that's so many I'm going to go backwards I'm going to go backwards with this so where where did the love of walking trekking and being outdoors come from so kind of take us backwards okay so um as a 10 year old kid my father bought a boat um we used to sail on the south coast and then later across to France um, back in those days, we're talking mid seventies, you didn't have uh, iPods, you didn't have tablets, you didn't have anything electronic. We were just bored. So listening to the weather <laughs> forecast was, was the highlight of my day, you know, <laughs> Cromarty fourth time, Dogger Fisher, <laughs> so, or shipping forecast. So yeah, um, reading things like the Reeds Nautical Almanac, I knew how to, how to birth a baby. I knew how to, what a, what a cold front was, what an occluded front was, because basically there was nothing on this boat to do apart from argue with my big brother. So, um, yeah, and I used to go off exploring because I didn't want to be stuck on this boat with my parents and my big brother. So I just wander off. And my parents were brilliant at letting me just just wander along the coast and take the dinghy up the coast and, um, you know, just just go off and explore. And I just always had this love of, of going off on my own. But I never I never really knew how to climb a mountain until about 10 years ago. So it was okay. always very amateur. So, well, there's obviously... You know, I mean, you can do things when you're a kid and it either goes one of two ways. Either you love it or you just like completely like I'm never living my life that way. And, you know, you try and change, change the thing that that you grew up with. But clearly that wasn't the story. So there's obviously some some genuine love and spark and joy that's just just grown there. And, you know, started trekking a mountain when you were 10. I mean, you know, a 10 year old doesn't trek a mountain unless they really want to. No, I mean, I, I, it was really just the coastal walks around there, around Pool Harbour, so Old Harry, um, looking down on the sea, all the little boats below me, that sort of thing. Um, so it really was was very much water-based. And it was something I had control of, whereas the, the sailing was, you know, my father made the decisions to go where we, where we went. And so, but, but the, the walking, I could go off wherever I wanted. Um, so I, I loved that and making my own decisions. So... And I was always a bit of an explorer. In my 20s, I was working in IT and I'd have to go up to Derbyshire to fix a computer system and I'd 
So I'd get into the company at seven o'clock in the morning so I could be finished by 11. And I'd go off on these ridiculous treks where I'd climb through a cave and then end up on the precipitous slope, the, ne- the other side of it with you know, legs trembling because I was so scared that I was just going to slide into an abyss and never be seen again. So yeah, it's always been a bit of an explorer. You're always see- looking for those adventures. Definitely, yeah. yeah. See, super yeah. impressed you did it with your children, one strapped on the front, one strapped on the back. You're my hero. Like, you're my hero. We had a bit of a sort of, um, well, it's my sort of book. Well, it's become a book club, although we don't really read the same books. We more go out for meals and go drinking. Um, but this has been going 20, 24 and a half years now that we've been, wow. been meeting. All very, very different people, all different books we love. But we used to go out for a walk sort of once or twice a week. Um, and I had children a bit closer together than isn't normal um so yeah so the only way to take them because we were on it was before the days of um uh for all, all train buggies really I think some one person had a rather fa- fancy buggy but no I had a an old-fashioned pram you know so the only way to move them on on poor terrain was to stick one in the front carrier and one in the back carrier so yeah. you went uh, you started in IT you mentioned your IT and then you're a business manager tell us about being a mountain leader so um, about 10 years ago now, um, I was working in a school. I, my kids were, what are they now, 24 and 23. So they were, they were teenagers. Um, probably even a few years before that, we wanted to, wanted to do things that were exciting that we could afford that, to keep two boys active um, and, and, and enjoying. So I started, I was, I was a cub leader. So I started going caving with my um, with a, a local scout caving group got on really well with them um I quite liked caving but when the weather's nice I just want to be on the surface I want to be um exploring um above the surface uh and I just I love maps and I love being able to to you know read the terrain from the map and know where I'm going whereas cave surveys don't have the same appeal to me um so I started doing more and more on the surface and then people would say oh we don't want to go caving today can we come out with you so I suddenly thought well, I really should have a qualification to be able to take all these random people up into the mountains. So I got my scout tickets to be able to take scout people out. And everyone said, we should go and get a, a proper national governing body qualification. So I was working towards my, um, what was then walking group leader. Um, and then somebody said, just go for your mountain leader. And I've always loved the navigation side of things. That's the bit I found easy. I think being a mum, the group management was easy. So yeah, so I went for it and very quickly I went from my training to my assessment and then it's been a series of lucky breaks since then and actually as an older woman I've, I've been positively discriminated and got some brilliant jobs out of it. So you got your mountain leader um, qualification, what did you do then? Did you just run your own treks or did you join well, I always a thought I'd do that and I sort of looked into setting up a website and I had a logo designed and stuff like that and then um, a, f- a friend of mine um, who you will know, Gemma, Richard, Rich Simpkin, um, contacted me back in early 2017 and went, there's this mad event happening. What are you doing in June, Lizzie? Um, and basically, I joined Charity Challenge as a freelancer to do uh, an event for Prostate Cancer UK, walking from Exeter to Newcastle um, via 42 football stadiums. Um, with a guy called Jeff Stelling of Sky TV, great guy. And yeah, each day he walked a marathon and we supported him. And we had up to about 140 football fans join us each day. And we sort of led it and we drove the van and we looked after their blisters and did briefings in the morning with them. Yeah, it was just, it was just great. And that introduced me to the company. 
and by the autumn I was leading in China and yeah I got fast-tracked in because um, they needed older women. That's how we met Lizzie because Lizzie yeah. was the most amazing trek leader when I did the Himalayas trek for Copperfield. She's honestly you kept the we group were together. the 80. You were, we were the best group. We also were. you have the best tips for blisters like I you were like oh is that rubbing okay put some KT tape on that and straight away I didn't get any blisters it was like no. a miracle I was like thank you no. it is the thing to do I was commenting yesterday on a on a post for the prostate cancer walk that we've got coming up next week that I've been wrecking today some, somebody was like oh compete's the stuff to go and I nearly I'd already said KT tape was the stuff to go for and they nearly I nearly went look are you going to listen to me I'm a professional <laughs> so, but I didn't I don't know. They should listen to you. It was the right thing. And then they'll, you know. I didn't use any Compede at all. The KT tape was the best thing. And I'd never. I did a National Three Peaks, um, I think a couple of years ago, but went before lockdown. I did the whole whole thing with the clients, about 20 20 clients in a van. There were, there was another team. So two teams going along together. um, And one of them had, uh, they had Compede and my team had KT tape. Um, and we had two tiny blisters on our bus and they had uh, basically Compede's um, sales of Compede for a year. Anyway, too much about Compede. I don't dislike Compede. It is good if you've got fluid filled blister, but it's not so good if you've got if you've got uh, hot spots. It's a good I'm tip, just though. It's loving these tips. I know. I'm like, what, do I have any of that? I might have to go and go and get some KT tape. I think and that's scientifically tape, proven that pink um, KT tape is more effective. Why is <laughs> that? That's just psychological isn't it i think it's mainly used for by physios to strap up injuries but it also does a really good job of preventing hot spots ah, so, okay so, so listen i'm really curious to know right so you've got you're saying as a really young person you've been walking as a really young person you've been caving as a really young person and you've been doing all of these things for basically as long as you can remember i'm guessing your first memories are like that so you will know how important a weather forecast is mm. to everything that you do so when were you first aware of the weather the types of forecasts and the impact for you so um i obviously was used to listening to the shipping forecast it was something it was the only way you could get the weather on a boat in those days there was no internet and stuff like that um i mean i think when they were doing around the worlds so they got radio broadcasts they were weather faxes i don't know what year those came in used to get weather charts packed through. But 1979, um, there was a race that went out to the Fastnet Rock and back. Uh, And there were about 300 yachts, I think, heading out to the Fastnet Rock, tacking around there and heading back. And there was uh, a depression that came over. And basically, um, it became the Fastnet disaster of 79. Um, Many, many boats were lost. I think 86 finished out of 300, something like that. I believe some lives were lost mm. uh, and that I was that age I was 13 it really impacted on me and I, I realized that I mean, my father was a, a test pilot and a and also a yacht master examiner so he did the same sort of thing I do but for sailing so he was you know he was really belt and braces he read all the shipping forecasts he listened to them he he did all the um uh plotting the route out looking at the tides he did it the right way so I saw how it was done um and I did you know, I, I, I saw the mistakes that were made. He commented on that and I learned what mistakes were made and the importance of, you know, sometimes just waiting, waiting the weather out, making, making changes to your plans because of the weather, not thinking, well, I'm three quarters of the way up a mountain now. It's not worth turning back. 
mm. because it's so is and, and you know mountain will always be there another day do you take into account the weather then when you're planning your route so on the morning if you look at the weather and you think actually this route's not going to work we'll have to take a different route Definitely. I mean, one of the events I do quite frequently is a thing called the Welsh 3000s, which is the um, 14 stroke 15 peaks, depending on what you want to argue, um, over 3000 feet in Snowdonia. And it's one of these events. There's no bus route in between it. You literally set off and you walk from one peak to the other, hopefully in under 24 hours. Um, You come down to the road after the first three peaks and then you come down to the road after the next six and then you're into the night leg. Um, it's a tough challenge. Um, the first uh, ridge that we go along is a ridge called Kribgoch, um, means Red Ridge. Uh, it's a grade one scramble. But basically, the way I explain it to people is one side is instant death and one side is slow and lingering death. So you don't fall off it and survive. And it's we have a rule that we will not lead. This is the companies I work for and me as a leader if the wind is over 25 miles an hour. We will not lead it. We might do it ourselves, but we won't lead punters on it because it's just too dangerous. And every year people die on it. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's ways around it, different routes you can do. Um, is that 25 miles at the top or is that 25 miles from where you set off from your car? From sorry, the 25 miles miles per hour at yeah. the, at the, along the ridge. Yeah, along the ridge the is ridge. about yeah. 900 metres, something like that. Okay, so if, if I'm wrong. Do you find it often then that, those limits are breached that doesn't seem like very much no. for a 900 meter height it's like, just you... that the the implications of it so um i was wrecking a route that i'd not done for a, a couple of years um last august that i was going to have to lead and i thought i really need to go and just do it again and the wind was really bad i mean i i took my um i call it a windometer i think it's called an anemometer but i can't say anemometer so i say windometer and uh, I took that with me and I recorded a gust of 96 kilometres an hour. Um, and it literally picked me up and threw me to the ground yeah. uh, constantly. And I ended up on the ground thinking, I can't stand up. I was on my own. I had a very concerned taxi driver who kept messaging me, going, Lizzie, how's it going? Are you all right? Are you all right? Um, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know? <laughs> um, but thank you for your concern. And I just, yeah, um, I had to give myself a real talking to and go, you can't cross the finish. It's 10 miles. You've got to stand up again and keep going. So there's different things, but the co- it's always, you're always thinking what the consequences, um, whether it's a, a mountain ridge or a mountain summit, if it's not a peak with a you know, sharp edge, what, you know, what is being thrown to the ground? It's uncomfortable. It, you, know, you could break things, but I'm pretty resilient to being chucked to the ground. So yeah, so that's, that's okay. But if you're on a knife edge ridge, the consequences mm-hmm. is, is death. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't take people on that. How do you keep calm then when you're on your on your way up the mountain and then maybe the weather changes unexpectedly and maybe you weren't expecting it? Like I would be quite freaked out if that was the case. I suppose you're you're a pro, you're you're trained in this, but yeah. especially for leading groups as well, how do you keep keep calm it's, in those it's situations? It's that mum mode. It's that, you know, mm. I, I remember when my son was eight months old and he it was you know that thing where they bounce up and down on their little legs standing up around a coffee table and he managed to knock his front tooth out. And it was one of those things, I went to the front door, I threw the front door open and not a single one of my neighbours was there to help. I thought, right, I've got to deal with this. And that's how I feel when I'm leading like abroad, like when I was doing the India trip and I've done a lot of China trips and it's like I'm mum. Um, and you're all lovely and it's all lovely and fluffy. And when the shit's, sorry, am I allowed to say shit? Yeah. <laughs> when, when it starts hitting the fan, when the brown stuff starts hitting the fan, 
you know, you've got to suddenly switch into mode and, and go into control and, and make decisions, snap, snap. And that's where you fall back on your training. So a yeah. bit like a bit like flight crew, really. So, you know, we're all lovely so and fluffy. What, what, yeah. What, walk us through a day. So first of all, tell us about the, the sources you go to for your weather. Like, tell, so let's just imagine people listening to this um, are like me and I own a pair of hiking boots. Um, I mainly use them to keep my feet warm in the winter in like playgrounds or if I'm doing something at work and stuff, you know. So I do walking in them, but I'm absolutely not a hiker. So a lot of people own hiking boots. So talk us on the day, what you should tell somebody to do. Where do you go for your weather? What what should you be thinking? First thing, what, should, what are you thinking? Okay, so um, ideally, it's good to have a Zoom beforehand if you can, uh, just because you can get them before they've made decisions like that on what boots to wear. Because it's not always necessary to wear walking boots. I mean, a lot of people go on about ankle protection. It's, it's debatable whether it's it's really necessary um obviously waterproofness can be important if you're going to be walking through streams and stuff like that weather forecast wise uh i mainly start um with a company called mwiz mountain weather information service uh it's um service provided by hill walkers for hill walkers it covers all the upland areas of the uk um, so you can dial in and you can look at Derbyshire or you can look at the Lake District or Snowdonia or Scotland, various different areas of Scotland. It's, to- it's written in, in um, Mountain Walker's language. So it uses lovely expressions like severe buffeting. You don't ever get a wind over about a four six without having severe buffeting. It talks about arduous walking conditions. So really, really important that, that you, you, know, you get an idea of what it's like as a walker. And then I suppose I use my experience. And that's one of the reasons why I carry a, um, an anemometer is so that if I, if I feel the wind is really strong, I can measure it. And then I know what that wind is for later. So if I see a wind is forecast at you know, gusting 60 miles an hour, I know what that's going to feel like. I know whether I'm happy and I can judge whether my group are going to be capable of that. So, yeah, look at, look at MWIS. I look at the Met Office. Uh, I look at synoptic charts on the Met, uh, Met Office. Use a lot of things like re- um, rain radar. Look at that. When the rain's going to come through, where I'm going to be for that section. Is it going to happen over lunchtime? Because if it is, you might want to take another event shelter, a group shelter, so you can get that out and get people sitting in, in a group shelter for lunch. Yeah, quite a few sources. And my family joke that I keep looking at the weather, different four sources until I find one that's um, what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Do you use any apps when you're out and about then? Like if there's storms around, like lightning or anything like that? Yeah, you have a light, like a lightning detector app. And we used that the other week. I was doing um, a work for um, a job called a Mighty Mighty Hike for um, Cancer Research UK. Uh, These these hikes have like two and a half thousand people set off on them. Uh, and we had a, a lightning procedure in place and we were carefully measuring how far the lightning was away from the groups. Um, so we knew what was going to happen. And we knew we had sort of contingency plans. So, you know, take shelter. We got all the leaders onto the same section of the route so that there was leaders like every, really every, almost every hundred metres just to get people ready. If we needed shelter, we were going to, you know, go and get people into garages. Where I was, I got found a garage that was the front was open. I could get people under undercover just to keep them safe. I'm so yeah. impressed. I was going to say, do you have any tips if anyone is out and about? Because I have always been asked, like, oh, do I? What do I do if there's a storm around? Like, if I'm out walking or hiking and there's a storm and there's lightning, what do I do? Right. If there's lightning, get down, get off the summit as quickly as you can. There's been some awful pictures um, that I've seen of people with their hair standing on end um, and that means the the air is charged with electricity oh 
Okay. You know, the next thing there's going to be a lightning strike. So get off the ridge, get off the hill. So you're not the highest person. Um, minimize the contact with the ground. So squatting down with your feet on the ground, but nothing else touching the ground. Um, discard your rucksack, discard your walking poles so that there's no chance that it's going to use a walking pole to conduct the electricity to you. Uh, don't stand under trees, don't stand in caves, anything like that that could, could be struck. I don't know if you saw that picture recently of the three siblings who were um, taking a selfie. They'd done like a happy selfie at the start of their walk, all smiling. And then it started raining and they were taking a sad selfie just at the moment that lightning struck the tree that they were standing under. Uh, it's worth Googling Whoa. the picture. Yeah. It's amazing. It's literally as that lightning strikes. Wow. What are the chances? That's incredible. Uh, amazing picture. So weather forecast of the morning, make sure you check all of your sources, make sure you know where you're going. What about clothing? So um, what's your advice for that? So if boots, um, you need to reproof them. Gore-Tex boots will only stay Gore-Tex. Somebody said the other day it's 30 wears and they'll stop being waterproof. Uh, I don't know whether that's true, but um, I'm not a big, huge fan of Gore-Tex. I have leather boots that I wear and I proof them with like um, almost like a dubbin type stuff. Um, a wax so so I can then literally walk through ankle deep water and my feet will stay dry which is mm-hmm. such it's so much better some people wear those wet socks um you know that the, the there are socks you can get that can get wet I don't I just wear my normal socks but I just I do proof them a lot so yeah so that's socks and then the rest of your waterproofs um it's always a balance between the weight of the the waterproof and are you comfortable wearing it all the time or um you know how waterproof is it Different, different makes have different ways of walking, you know, working. There's Gore-Tex, there's, there's copies of Gore-Tex, people are using the same sort of thing. Then there's Paramo, which uses a different, like, positive pressure system. Different people have different things they like. There's no, no right and wrong. I remember looking for a waterproof before our trek to India, mm-hmm. and it was just so overwhelming. There was so much out there. And I just thought, I don't know where to start. There's just so much information out there in terms of what, what waterproofs the best. And it was just... And at the end of the day, if you're walking for 10 hours in the rain, you will get wet. It will come in your neck. It will come up your sleeves. It will just, you'll get wet. Uh, it's like waterproof gloves. There's always posts on, on the advice forums, people saying, you know, oh, I need a pair of waterproof gloves. What make do you recommend? It's just like, I recommend three pairs because your hands will get wet. And just treat yourself to a dry pair at lunchtime. And it's just such a good thing. Dry socks, that sort of thing. Just, oh, yeah. yeah, be prepared to take They're take really good little tips. They're yeah, great tips. I would... I would think of that for my kids and not myself. That is a really great tip. Yeah. I mean, kids best in plastic bags from head to toe, basically. Especially your age kids. (laughs) Yeah. Do you need layers then if you're going up uh, up to heights as well? Definitely. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's this thing called lapse rate. So it's based on the moisture in the air. You you know all about this. Um, So if you imagine a a mountain like um, Ben Nevis, the highest mountain in the United Kingdom, it's about... 1350 meters ish that sort of thing the the base of the mountain is sea level so you can have a nice reasonable nice scottish summer day fort william high street and it might be 14 degrees every meter you go up i roughly recommend you um sort of you lose about one degree so 1300 1350 meters you're going to lose 13 degrees Mm. it's 14 15 degrees you're getting down towards freezing putting the wind chill on that you yeah. can be really uncomfortable. So definitely layers, take spare layers. Yeah, I have lots of lots of sort of um, artificial you know, uh, layers and thin thin layers that you can layer up. 
so yeah, just to so say you can, and there's an expression, be bold, start cold. So when you're setting up, setting up in the morning, you're shivering in nervous anticipation. So be bold, start cold, start heading up the mountain and you'll soon be warm. What has been your most memorable trek for weather reasons? Oh, so we had one, 2019, I think it was. We were due to do a thing called the Lakes Five or Eight Peaks. People choose which one they do. And you start off from Langdale and you head up the uh, up Rossett Gill and you start picking off mountaintops all the way over to Scarfell. Anyway, the night before we looked at the forecast and we knew this wasn't going to be possible. You could see in the distance up Rossett Gill, these little streams were blooming great white ribbons of, of water, you know, water absolutely coursing down the mountain there was no way we were going to be able to cross them things that you just stepped over normally um so we had to come up with a different route uh but it was it was a great route there's uh you know we, we were dancing through water that was ankle deep at places we just got to the point where we didn't care but because because we kept the clients low they were the, we'd taken the danger of the exposure away and that and the risk of of going higher and then not being able to cross back that's always a problem i remember we were doing an event in Arran on the isle of Arran. Uh, we went up to do the recce and we got, I don't know, only a few hundred metres up. And we just went, there's no way we can cross this river with a group of, you know, 100 people. Absolutely no way. So you've got to change your route then. And you've got to always be concerned. I remember some some friends of mine did the Ring of Steel and you do a long way around in Scotland before you do the water crossing. So if the water crossing is not, the river crossing is not possible, you've got an awfully long way back to go back. So it's worth then thinking, should I do it the other way around so that I do the river crossing early on is there any other thing as well i because we've covered clothing but a lot of people are, will go trekking when it's nice fine weather but obviously you can still go trekking and go out when it's in the winter if you want to if it's cold you might have snowed a week before whatever and obviously there's still be snow on the mountains so do you have any tips for anyone that was thinking okay yeah it's a cold day and it snowed recently i'm gonna go i'm gonna go out i'm gonna go and climb this mountain yeah i mean you need to know what the surface conditions on the path are so whether it's it's going to be ice on the path because then you might want to consider some type of grip on your shoes some extra like an added on yak tracks or some crampons micro spikes before crampons is sort of like a layer of you start off with with um, yak tracks type things which is like a a wire that goes onto your shoes just held on with elastics. And then the next sort of level is micro spikes, which is just these little, little spikes again, held on with elastic. And then the top level is, is full crampons. Um, so depending on how icy the track is, you need to start thinking of that. So I would always say, take them, know how to use them, know how to walk in them. You have to walk a bit like you've got wet knickers. Um, the wet, wet knicker walk, we call it. <laughs> so otherwise you just end up ripping shreds of your trousers on the inside of the legs so you sort of have to walk with your, your feet apart and also carry an ice axe because if you start sliding down the hill you want to be able to arrest that fall you don't want to keep going um and practice it you know go on a winter skills course so yeah there's lots lots of things you can do what what's the highest altitude you've climbed to Five and a half thousand meters in, That's in Nepal. Epic. I wow. I I was one time up at four and a half thousand yeah. meters. Where was that? It um La Paz. Okay. I could not walk up the road. I never okay. acclimatized either. I was so sick no. the whole time. I there's about five things I do to cope with altitude. One is slowly, slowly. You just need to do it. Um, you know, really take your time. We stopped at 4,000 metres. Uh, we finished walking at lunchtime. We then, that afternoon, dragged ourselves out and did a 4,500 metre, just a little walk out just to get that, and then back to sleep at 4,000. 
So yeah, so walk up high, sleep low. There's that. There's getting enough sleep. There's eating enough, hydrating enough. My my appetite goes at altitude. Um, you've got to just force food into you. So it doesn't matter what it is. I had a chap the other night who said to the other, it was overnight. We were doing a Welsh 3000s. And he said, I'm on a low carb diet. I went, this is not the time to have a low carb diet. You're going to start eating now. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to be calling out Mountain Rescue for you. So, um, yeah, you do need to, to, to keep eating. I've done, I, I don't think altitude really starts hitting me till about two and a half thousand meters, 3000 meters, something like that. Wow. I, I've had good times. I've had bad times in altitude. It's one of those things. It's not really a respecter of, of, experience or anything some people can get hit by it other times they don't it's, yeah but I just try to do all those things make sure I get enough sleep yeah drink enough eat enough I felt a little bit like that when we was in India I wasn't that bad but I could feel myself we weren't even particularly high but I could feel myself struggling to catch breath towards the top of the mountain the day that we sort of got quite high but yeah yeah we were getting up to about two and a half thousand meters there I think so it starts to kick in yeah Um, you could feel it it just feels like a weight is sat on your chest and you're just less there's just less oxygen yeah it takes so so much more effort yeah yeah what's the longest distance you've ever walked or perhaps the answer or the question is actually that might be a time question as well. So I've, when I do the Welsh 3000s, quite often I'm doing a 20, 29 hour day, but we don't lead every leg. So we'll be a, like a morning leader and an evening leader. So we'll have the, like, the day off, but trying to sleep in the middle of the day is forget it. Uh, you've got normally your adrenaline's going so much in the middle of the day. But um, yeah, I did a bit of a mad one in um, 2018. So one of the companies I'm, I'm very much involved with, we do uh, a charity event, a 50 miler. And from 25 miles, we're sort of ready to pick people up if, you know, if they need it. And I messed up my time, my dates, so I couldn't do the actual event. So I, I said I would do it the week before. So I set off on my own at 3 a.m. And I walked with the topic going from my friend's house and back to my friend's house. It was about 56 miles in 19 wow. hours. Um, wow. I stopped for um, a morning uh, hot chocolate and cake at Chatsworth. I then uh, stopped in Bakewell and bought a Bakewell tart, which got back in one piece for my son, who likes Bakewell tarts. And then um, as I got towards Sheffield on the way back, I, we stopped at the Fox House, where my, my friend who joined me for about 30 miles of it, we, I, got, I got a pint of cider, couldn't drink it all. And my, I, I carry one of these platypus devices, you know, so it's on my back with, filled with water. It was empty, so I filled it with cider. And I remember <laughs> going over the moor into Sheffield, and I saw the lights of Sheffield, I had about 10 miles to go. And that feeling, I had music in my ears, I was completely on my own, it was dark. And I just thought, I'm going to make this. And the euphoria of that, that I was on my own, I was responsible for my own things. I had cider in my backpack and I was going to walk over 50 miles in a decent time. It was an amazing <sighs> feeling. A legend. I, yeah. Amazing. That was, that was quite an accomplishment. I was have you, with myself. Um, have you ever um, had any desire to run? I do run, yeah. I started running various points in my life <laughs> I started running properly about um about a year ago well not properly I did couch to 5k which I'd recommend to anybody who wants to start running uh and I stupidly get up at that silly o'clock uh, every other day that I'm home sometimes every day that I'm home and me and a friend who's um yeah very similar to me uh just an ordinary ordinary person we run and we do Lizzie I'm like I'm developing a love-hate relationship for you I'm like I want you in my life because I need you to to carry me on because I I'm a willing candidate when I have sleep any type of sleep at all and then I'm like 
God, I can't believe you can do all of this but stuff. It's one of the things I love about my job is people think they can't do it and you can. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I really want to, so all this, this journey started in my mid forties. You know, I had never climbed a mountain. Somebody said, go for your mountain leader. Don't go your walking group leader. And I drove up to Snowdonia for the first time only in, was it something like May, 2016? And I parked up at Penapass car park and I looked at the rock around me and I just went, this is so far out of my comfort zone. I just haven't got a clue what to do. And I was on a skills weekend um, with some people who knew what they were doing. Uh, and over the next 18 months, it just became my playground. And I just, I love it now. But you, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a really powerful thought that you just mm. said there. That's really lovely. You love seeing people's do things that they think absolutely they yeah I mean I just I, I remember the, the trip to India and, and I had the same with the next Copperfield trip I did down in Cornwall they're just such a great group of mostly women not entirely but mostly and you know people just achieve so much on those weeks don't they Gemma and it's they do they yeah. do I'd I like just... I'd like to walk in before then mm. but it is a bug as soon as you start doing it you just can't stop it's really weird like I'll regularly now I mean I don't live anywhere near the mountains unfortunately I'll put my, <laughs> I'll put my walking shoes on and I'll just start walking mm. and there are times when it's really weird I just can't stop walking I just have to keep walking and keep walking it's just this thing that comes over me because I feel so relaxed and so at peace yeah and it's just the mental health side as well isn't it definitely and I've actually been thinking recently I really want to challenge and I want to do a longer distance walk and I thought to myself I'm gonna reach out to Lizzie I'm gonna ask her yeah yeah you've already mentioned something about next year haven't you I mentioned something to you yeah yeah so I think we might we're gonna try and uh, try and organize I'd love love to do something and uh, do you know what I I have said as well I have another marathon in me coming up I can feel it yes we need to do something let's do it I would love to run a marathon I really would I walk marathons regularly you'd sleep a marathon running it if the way you're yeah you would yeah I don't know no, no you no. would you would I have I zero doubt no, <laughs> not. absolutely fine I'll give it a go but yeah no I'd like to increase my distance so I'd like to do 10k or 10 miles or 15 miles or something like that so yeah but in a shorter time because it is hard to train when you're training for long distance walks it's a long time that you're on your feet Mm-hmm. Um, done a couple of like half marathon walks overnight and trying mm. to train for that it's just it takes hours yeah, and one of the first <laughs> challenges I ever did was a thing called the Yorkshire Three Peaks and I trained a lot for that and yeah we were getting up at like five in the morning and going off and this is my running friend that we did it with and yeah we'd go off and we'd finish by two o'clock and that time we'd managed to do a decent amount of but it's mental so with my my 50 miler by lunchtime I'd cracked half of it and so you think yeah I've done it and like, so with the things like the Yorkshire Three Peaks or the National Three Peaks, I tell people to, you know, once you've done one, forget about it. Pretend you're starting again. That's a good um, mentality to yeah, have. It is. Let, I suppose it's kind of like a good, yeah, you know, you let it go, you move forward, you let it go, you move, you know. Yeah. That's you can't path. eat an elephant. Keep, keep going. Unless you break it down into parts. So it's the yeah. same with that. And I suppose that's what it must be like for things like long distance sailors. You know, I've read a lot of autobiographies by people like Claire Francis, Alan MacArthur, yeah, and I suppose that's what it must be like. You know, when you set off from, from Plymouth and your plan is to sail around the world and you're not going to see anybody for 10 months, it must be. Oh, I How do you even get your head around that? It must be because you, you can't really practice that sort of thing. You just think that you have to mm. just. Do I'd have eaten all the yummy stuff before we'd gone around Plymouth Hoe. 
Do you know what? I had, so, I had so many snacks when I went trekking that probably I had them in so many pockets that about uh, two months after I came back, I was still finding snacks. Oh, that was <laughs> it. No, that was it. Literally, it's all about the snacks. When you go when you go yes. trekking or walking, you need yeah. to make sure you've got food in your bag. I had a group at the weekend and uh, I said I was managing an event and I sent one of the staff off to go. I was just, just go and buy lots of chocolate. They need chocolate. It's pouring with rain. They need chocolate. And they just they wolfed it down. They loved it. So it's it's definitely a time to to enjoy your food and yeah. Definitely. I was gonna ask you, I was gonna ask you one other thing as well, just before we maybe move on to the um get to know me. But I was just wondering, do you reckon there's anything people forget when it comes to the weather when they're out trekking? Uh, the main one is not to waterproof their phone. So they think that, you know, it's going to be okay and phones get wet. So I just take things like I've got a bag of um, a roll of plastic bags and just give people a plastic bag. If nothing else, stick it in a plastic bag. It's an awful lot of electronics in that phone, yeah. but, but pear shape. I've had too many people who've finished the trek and their phones stopped working. So, so yeah, that's, that's really important. And things like taking a battery pack for your phone. People do rely on phones these days. We've got to be realistic. You know, mm. they rely on phones for, for weather, for um, navigation, for communication, uh, mm. so really important they keep that phone going so battery pack good quality battery pack um, and a plastic bag for the phone so yeah that's the thing Great people tips. normally forget or they forget that weather's going to change while they're up the mountain mm, and it isn't yeah. the same when they set out as when they get to the top so is that your if you had one message to give to everybody so let's just say you're only allowed to say one sentence to a group of people going on their first walk what would it be be ready for different conditions throughout the day throughout the day than there are when you set off because it will make them enjoy it more and if you have got that waterproof layer to put on if you have got the extra warm layer if you have got the gloves the hat or if you've got a t-shirt underneath in case it gets hot so anything over 18 degrees can get quite uncomfortable for walking in mm. so there's that saying isn't there there's no no such thing as bad weather there's yes. clothing. Alfred, clothing. Alfred Wainwright yes god bless his soul so yeah I say that to people all the time I'm like well, there's no bad weather you're just not wearing the right clothing yeah although I don't enjoy it as much when it's raining all day I am I'm a bit of a fair weather walker there's <laughs> <laughs> something about is when you're trying to plot a route and you're trying to you know you've got your compass out and your map out or you you, know, you can't use your phone screen because it's wet and Oh no, no, give me, yeah, give when me you look up weather. and you're just getting hit in the face by the rain. It's like, oh, especially with glasses get, as well. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, God, yeah. I'm really lucky that I can, still, I can still read a map without without glasses. And I'm dreading the day when that's going to go. So, um, yeah, I'm very lucky that I, I wear one contact lens so I can see distance. Uh, and my eyes are still fine to read a, a map. So I'm very lucky. Just um, wear one contact lens. Yeah, your brain adapts for it. So, yeah. Really? Yeah, and the, it's for distance because I need glasses for distance. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, lots really of us. Lots of us do. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. Your brain, your brain copes. So you, one eye becomes the dominant eye when you're looking at a map and the other eye becomes the dominant eye when you're looking at, as I once saw, is that a camel on that uh, ridge over there? And so I went, no, it's a tree. I should be wearing glasses for this. <laughs> so, or, I, or I get into a field and I'll say to the clients, can anyone see a style on the other side of the field? Because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you always use the same eye for the same distance? Well, I only have left contact lenses, so I suppose so. Yeah, I don't think you have to. It's just, I just got better at putting left contact lenses in than right ones. So <laughs> I don't know. So I don't, That's fascinating. <laughs> that's mad but yeah no, I, I, I am a fair weather walker definitely I mean I get very very excited about certain weather phenomena things like um Brock inspectors mm, lovely I've, I've only ever seen them one. in pictures can you explain oh, just, to people that might not know what that is 
So Brock and Spectre is where the sun, I think, is low in the sky and it's casting a shadow of the person onto the cloud below you. I see, yeah. is that right? Yeah, so the light will be behind you. You're above yeah. the clouds, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you get them in planes quite often on the, te- the yeah. tail of planes quite them, often. Though. And it's uh, you get sort of a rainbow and a yeah. shadow. So when you put your arms out, you end up with these hugely long shadows from your arms. Yeah, um, yeah. I get ridiculously excited when I see them. I've seen I'm, them several times. I'm so jealous that you just go and get to see them all the time because you're just constantly oh, climbing at heights. So. Yeah, and it's, it's lower, early in the season when the sun's low, that sort of yeah. thing. But yeah, very excited about those. Uh, inversions cloud inversions are oh, just i just adore them I just there's nothing better than climbing above the cloud that was the yeah. one thing when i went trekking i said to everyone before i go i really want to be above the clouds i want to have a cloud inversion and then remember that day with that sunset and we were sort of above the clouds and the sun oh, was that picture saying, of us all in a long it's just row, the most it? amazing it was the most yeah. amazing experience to watch the sunset and to be above the clouds and mm-hmm. i was just like i'm so happy right now I don't know I if just, I can, it's just amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, that feeling yeah. of being above the clouds is just, can't explain just, it. There's nothing better. I did a trek in New Zealand on my own uh, and I left the hut really early in the morning. So we, it was like a two hut trek, so three days, two huts. And I, I went up and I saw a Brock Inspector and an inversion. And I used my phone to do like a time lapse of all the, the cloud coming across. It's very oh, exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> We're just I basically crap. geeks, aren't we? So. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I'm so proud of it as well. I love it. <laughs> so let us geek on and find out a little bit more about you. So Gemma, take it away. Okay, Lizzie, we're going to move on to our get to know me round. So it's just a few quick questions just to uh, get a, more of a feel for you, really. So your favourite season? Probably spring, because it's the anticipation of what's to come with the longer days. Get in, Lizzie. It's my favourite <laughs> season as well. Do you have a favourite cloud? Um, really, from when I used to hang around with some hang glider pilot, uh, and I think it's lenticular, so it's yeah. like a, we called it um, wave cloud, and it basically was really fast-moving air high up, mm. so it would get, hang glider pilots could get onto it and then do long distance. So, yeah, yeah. and it's one I can easily recognise. So, yeah, probably lenticular. Lenticular clouds are beautiful. They're way, yeah, mm. they are wave clouds. They're almost like atmospheric waves bouncing and the mm. air gets rises and falls and that's how you get the, the cloud condensing. Sort of, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I find it fascinating, actually. I've, you know, occasionally you see them. And so at the moment I'm living in East Anglia, you often see lenticular clouds the further north you are across Norfolk. And it's if the wind direction is northwesterly, you'll see them and they've obviously bounced off the mountain range up off the peak somewhere, you know, okay. you get the downwind version of it. So they can actually go on for hundreds of miles. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I shall think of that. wonder where they've been next time I see them. Yeah. Where did so, they start? Where did yeah. it end? Where's the beginning? Chicken and egg. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I just love watching clouds form and, and, you know, build up and then disperse. Yeah. They tell a story. Can't beat a they? good lo- uh, time lapse of a, of a cloud. You deserve yeah. It. Yeah. Stunning. Just lying there watching them. Do you have a favourite weather to trek in or walk in? Uh, probably early morning sunrise in on a clear day. That's nothing better. I've done quite a few overnights and watching that. That so I did. I supported a friend recently um, in um, in April, uh, and she did Snowden by six routes. Uh, so she went from the bottom to the top, from the bottom to the top, on different routes all the way around. So 12 tire, 12 routes. Absolutely amazing. And I was I was her support crew up the top of Snowdon. It was just stunning. We had a beautiful sunset and a beautiful sunrise. It was clear, high pressure. Um, we chose a weather window that we chose and we, we went up because it was 
appear to be that minus five degrees on top of Snowden. Mm. Um, but it was overnight, so I was there tucked in my little sleeping bag. So yeah, no, so probably probably high pressure, fine weather, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm not in love with winter yet. I want to yeah. get better at winter, but, but I'm not you in know, love with it. You can't you the thing is though, when you when you have something that you love, I think you you need to I hate using the expression actually you need it's good to take small breaks from it so you know that that's the thing you can you can challenge yourself and challenges are great but at the end of the day you have to love what it is you're doing it shouldn't always be hard like a trekking in cold conditions is incredibly difficult and challenging so yeah I mean I look back on my treks in in Nepal as yeah they're amazing but they're hard work you're surviving once you start to get above 4,000 meters you know your, your body's struggling and and you know I know I know proper mountaineers call it 8,000 meters that you struggle but you know I'm I start struggling at 4,000 and uh, you know it's uh, do you want to be up at that height I well, don't know it's yeah. not easy life up there yeah mm. I think it's I think it's you know I don't think it's a bad thing I think it's good to have and also you yeah you need rest periods from things so that you can burst back into them with that renewed sense of anticipation I'm yeah. sure you love when the, the spring starts rolling around again and and you get to do other little things in your life as well you know when you're not yeah I think it's important when you do, do a job like mine that, that it isn't always just working with clients so you do take time to go off and do what, what you fell in love yeah. with on the mountain I mean one thing we carry which is you're talking about you know reinvigorating yourself in my rucksack I carry um we call it a group shelter not an emergency shelter because we use it at all time and it's like you know the kiddies at nursery when they're doing parachute games um so it's like a big parachute and you pull it over you and you sit on it and that is just the best thing to have if it's a rainy day or a cold day and you just need to get the group together sit out have a biscuit have a have a hot drink or have your lunch and then you're you're ready to go again yeah yeah so, just to recharge so what about being prepared really just yeah. being prepared for what the weather might throw at you yeah and p- pacing yourself as well that's like a valuable lesson in life though right isn't it just yeah yeah, you do see it sometimes with, you know, when we do these challenge events that people, you know, do too much in the morning and then they're, they're completely shot in the afternoon. But they learn. <laughs> Quickly, probably. <laughs> yeah. Snow, yes or no? Yes, if I've got skis strapped to my feet. Okay. Yes, if it's nice, dry snow that mm-hmm. is not going to get me soaked but not that wet stuff that you have to trudge through for hours and every every step you take it's knee deep and then you have to pull your leg all the way back out and put it in again and all the way back out so it's very tough you have to be very fit to enjoy snow mm. so. sounds a bit like our relationship as forecasters with snow mm. we, like we are not on shift we're not on shift yeah. love it yeah well, when i was a school business manager all my colleagues all the head teachers and the rest of the senior leadership team all lived down on the south coast they didn't get any snow down there so i was the one who had to make the decision whether the school would be kept open or be closed i actually know how to close schools bring radio stations and close schools i know the codes to ring. i had to make sure my kids didn't ever hear me doing it because then they could ring up you know, and close, close their school so yeah. it's a secret just just between me and the radio station no, i'm not telling anybody how to do it so. Can you do the same for my work? <laughs> no. no, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Also, actually, if it's snowing, you need to be there. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love a day at work and snow. We had, of course snow. we had snow in April last year, I think, in lockdown. And it was one of the first times that I've actually just been able to go out and just have fun in the snow because we had no work. 
Because mm. normally, you know, when I went to the school, it was always a case of, you know, trying to get people into the school, trying to get people picked up, trying to decide whether the school was going to close or not. Then it was emails out to parents. It was just work. Snow was work to me. So it's lovely to, I do like going skiing though. A couple of more questions for you. If you were a fruit or vegetable, what would you be? Oh, blimey. Um, a grape because you can turn it into wine. I don't know. <laughs> It's a great answer. It's a great answer. Strawberry because everybody loves them. I don't know. It'd have to be a fruit. I'm definitely more of a fruit than a vegetable. So, um, so yeah, something like strawberries or grapes, some sort of soft fruit. I love how people find that question bizarre, but then suddenly everyone very quickly is able to decide if Mm. they're a fruit or a vegetable. It's really interesting. If you could go to any country right now and, and trek, where would you go? Patagonia. I'd really like to go to South America. I've not done any trekking. So I've never been to South America. I've never set foot on the continent. So I'd love to go to South America. Yeah, Patagonia. Done a lot down in New Zealand, quite a lot in China, Nepal, India, that sort of stuff. But no, Patagonia. Love to see those mountains. I'm a real physical geography person. So yeah. Me too. Me too. Can't mm. beat a bit of physical geography. Your go-to snack when you're out on a trek? Probably um, Cadbury's Dairy Milk. Oh, great shout. But it's got to be the right temperature. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. But I, I, I always say to people, take a selection of snacks. Because sometimes you want a salty snack. Sometimes you want a sweet snack. Particularly people, you know, if people have got diabetes and stuff like that, they can be, have been shoving jelly babies all day. Mm. And if you show them another jelly baby, they will stuff it up your nose. If you, you know. So the thing is, and so I had this happen in, in Mallorca once. And, and somebody just produced a little Snickers bar, like a mini, mini Snickers. I went to, to this... this um, diabetic friend would you like this um and she was just like yes because it was different so yeah mm. it's, it's having different things but yeah and, and I love fresh fruit on on track it's totally impractical but those little sort of fruit pots that you get in co-op and M&S and stuff like that so other supermarkets are available so have you got any tips for weeing outside for women wildewees peeing outdoors I just think it's really important I do a lot of um, work with Duke of Edinburgh students so girls sort of puberty up to sort of 18 um, and quite often you find they won't drink because they don't want to have yeah. to pee outdoors so um, my advice would be getting your kids peeing from a young age outdoors I find it quite sad when they're sort of 15 and they've never peed outside embrace it you know once you've had kids everybody's seen it doesn't matter anymore um <laughs> So yeah, embrace it. I remember one really liberating experience where a group, we were in Slovenia caving. Uh, and for some reason, it was a group of five women went across to this. It was basically a show cave that we went to, quite a sporting show cave. And we were watching the, the miles clock down on the, on the sat-nav as we got there. And we got to the, the turnoff on the road. It was an 11-mile track or 11-kilometer track or something. And we thought that was it. We were there. Um, and we got halfway up and we went, God, we're all desperate for a pee. And we parked the car and all of us, five of us in a row, just got there squatted down dropped our knickers and peed we looked at the view while we did it it was really liberating that it's... I really like that actually because yeah we outside just get used to it if you could invite one person to dinner it can be anybody at all who would it be mm. any time frame in, in the universe you know okay probably someone like Ellen MacArthur mm. around the world yachtswoman yeah yeah really really interesting woman after she sort of cut back on what she'd done the, the one day globe and set the fastest time she then went off to places like um south georgia um was i went to a talk by her and she was saying how the thing about albatrosses were just not scared of humans because they'd never encountered them uh yeah so somebody like that an explorer oh um 
yeah, Claire Francis, um, Tracy Edwards, one of those sort of round the world yachts women. They have so many great Or, or a, a female mountaineer. So somebody like Alison Hargreaves, who climbed K2 um, with her when she had two small, very small children. Sadly, she didn't come down. And then finally, one thing that you wish everybody knew about trekking or hiking or walking. That you can achieve more than you ever thought you possible. You can you can literally practice it, get to the point where you can do more than you thought you were capable of. And we see that all the time at Copperfield, don't we? Yeah. So yeah. What a great, what a great way to end our chat as well. I'm, I'm literally inspired now. I'm like, I need to go out and do something. Uh, so we also would like to leave you with a little weather wisdom. So we try to impart some little knowledge uh, about the weather. And today I'm going to tell you what an Indian summer is. So at the time of recording this, I think there's been like this feeling that we've had this disappointing summer. Now, myself and Gemma feel very strongly against this because around the world we've had all of these extraordinary heat waves, which are, you know, on the face of it, really quite shocking, you know, to see 49 degrees in Europe. We've seen 50 degrees over in Canada. But anyway. I'm going to explain what an Indian summer is. So an Indian summer is where you get a warm spell of weather, normally in October or November. So it has to be at some point in the autumn and it normally occurs after the first frost as well. And that's what an Indian summer is. Mm, Interesting. I didn't know about the frost bit. I think people forget that. I think they forget yeah. that. They yeah. see yeah. a spell of warm weather in, in the autumn and they think, oh, it's an Indian summer. And you're like, well, we haven't had a frost yeah, yet, so it, it can't yet. be. Yeah. Like, techni- yeah, the, like the te- technical, technical version. I mean, I, if September comes around and the first week is great, when they go back. To where, does the, where does the, why Indian? Because they don't get frosts in so, India. No, um, it's nothing to do with actual India. So most of our, um, most of, you know, like all of the moons, there's the wolf moon, the strawberry moon, mm-hmm. all of these different named moons. Most of these expressions for weather actually come from native americans so it comes from like the native america where um uh, does the name indian summer because it's from the native american indians so it's a warm spell of weather after they get their frost over there so most a lot of expressions actually originate over. and was this because they were early weather forecasters or were they interested in the forecast because they're farmers and they needed to know It's, it's really interesting because i guess i guess first of all over there the seasons are very different to over here you've got this huge landmass so perhaps there's more of a predictability of what was to be expected on a land that wasn't disrupted by human intervention mm-hmm. so you know you're living on this huge landmass where there's a spring a summer a winter and an autumn like very kind of definite seasons so when you have a large landmass, you get much more of a definite season than if you live near a body of water like the UK for example mm. because you may have like a moisture influence or you may have land influence across from Europe so I don't know whether it was because it was settled later that the phrases still are within our English dictionary or whether people just I don't know liked the name of them I'm not sure but a lot of, like, for example, all of the moons are after Native American moon names. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Learn some every day. Yeah. But, they, <laughs> you know, they all make sense. Like the strawberry moon is normally when 
you know, strawberries. The wolf moon, I think, is it used to be that there's a, some sort of a, a an old wives' tale that wolves would howl more when they're hungry, but that's not true. But that's normally when wolves would appear to go searching for food and hunting for food because they know that the winter is coming. Winter's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So they'd be more active. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> we digress again. Gemma, that was a great weather wisdom, though. We've learned, we've learned so much today. Today has been such it a has, good episode. I, definitely. I've got way more out of it, though, than I think anybody else. And I'm just like, that's it. Those walking mm. shoes are going on. And the next adventure is getting planned because I'm and going to do a big walk. Have you come I across have... um, Alistair Humphreys? Is Alistair Humphreys who writes books called Micro Adventures? So, yeah, you can go off, you know, just go off with your tents, the pair of you, just for the weekend and just... I'm just yeah, going I'm to write this down. I need to go Google these when we get off the phone. I'm definitely yeah. going to look at that. I love a little yeah. adventure. I'm always taking myself off on adventures. Love them. Yeah, Alistair Humphreys. If you have loved this episode as much as we have loved recording it, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate and review, share the podcast with anybody that you think would love it, whether they love the weather, hiking, trekking, some inspiration, because Lizzie has offered so much so much information there's also been loved as well i feel i feel like i've i love the world more or something yeah it's been it's gorgeous true. it's been amazing but you can follow us on instagram we are for the love of weather we are also on tiktok for the love of weather and you can find us on twitter the number four love of weather and as always we just really hope that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more and maybe that you've got a bit of inspiration and you might just think i might just put on my trainers or my walking boots and go for a walk or take on that challenge thanks for listening bye bye